Go back into South Bend's history. 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, and what do you see? You see groups of people working to bring change to this city. They had different ideas of what that change should be. They didn't always agree. And their problems sometimes looked different than ours. But in every era, there were groups of people for whom positive change was their life goal. This podcast, South Bend's Own Words, features the voices of people who helped make this city change. We'll play you selections from the Indiana University South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center's oral history collection with the goal of telling you a more complete history of the city. It's the story of many cultures, not just one. It's the story of South Bend. Willie Coates lived almost his entire lifetime in South Bend. After first living in a housing project, in the 1950s, his parents moved out to West Washington Street. It's there that he spent the rest of his childhood and early adult years. Back then, West Washington was transitioning. Willie's family was among the few black families out there at first, but by the 1960s, that changed. Partly because of this, he faced racism at an early age. As a child, he lacked any historical framework to understand those encounters. As an adult, and after he read the autobiography of Malcolm X, his life changed. Now he could put his experiences in their proper context. The racial slurs shouted at him by white neighbors as he walked to school, for instance. The black man shot by police in 1967 when Willie was only about 10 feet away. The riots that ensued afterwards. As an adult, Willie channeled his activism through groups like the Black Panthers and the Nation of Islam. He was able to bring Chicago-area Panthers to try and start a chapter here. He also brought Minister Louis Farrakhan from the Nation of Islam to speak. He held symposiums, started community organizations, and even opened a black-centric bookstore about a block west of the Angman Natatorium. In 2005, Willie sat down with David Healy. Willie spoke about growing up in South Bend's West Side and what the civil rights movement meant to kids like him. Good afternoon, Mr. Coates. Good afternoon, sir. Are you a resident of South Bend? All of my life, born and raised here, February the 16th, 1947, till the present. Till the present. Mm -hmm. I was actually born in what was then the projects on uh, Prairie Avenue. They, they don't exist any longer, but there were projects on the, you know, just past Chapin and um, stayed there probably for the first two years of my life, I think, and we, or three maybe, and then we moved to um, what was called the LaSalle Park area or the lake. Mm -hmm. I, all, I grew up in a neighborhood, 2600 block of West Washington Street. When we moved in that neighborhood, there were probably only three black families in the entire neighborhood. There was only probably 15, I'll say, houses on that in that particular block. So you saw the neighborhood go from white? All white almost to a mixed neighborhood to, of course, now it's all black. When we moved in, whites began to move out. And so by the time I graduated from high school, probably that neighborhood was two-thirds black. Your experience at Washington High School, what was that like? I was very active in um, music. That's always been my forte and my love. I went to uh, Harrison grade school up until the eighth grade. And then I went to Washington High School 9 through 12. So going all the way back to grade school, I had a music teacher by the name of Mrs. Henry. And uh, what Mrs. Henry did uh, and John Fitzhenry when we got to high school continued 
is she exposed us to Broadway musicals, to the classics, and you know all other kinds of music. She also took us to different churches and different other venues to sing, to perform. So she took you all over. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh, she was a real uh, pioneering kind of person, you know. And she took a great interest in us beyond just you know the classroom work. And she recognized the same thing John Fitzhenry recognized that we had probably talent that was a little bit extraordinary and with a little help that it could really go somewhere, you know. So she invested in us and John Fitzhenry definitely invested in us. So you had some real encouragement at Harrison and Washington. Absolutely. So you were, you graduated in... 64. 64. Mm -hmm. You spent some time at Ball State, spent some time at ISB. Yes. Joined the Marine Corps Reserve in 66. 66, right. And you, so you were back here in town around 67, 68. That's true. I came back in the uh, probably <laughs> spring of 67, if I remember correctly. And that would have been in probably the hottest part of the Civil Rights Movement here in South Bend. It certainly was the ho hottest part of the, uh, the riot uh, in South Bend. And I don't know if the riot could be considered part of civil rights, but... Uh, <laughs> It was uh, a cry of the people. Um, so, yeah, I came back in 67 just in time to be connected with that. What happened to me in the military was I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. I met a guy from Chicago, and I think if I remember correctly, he talked to me about Malcolm X and about his autobiography and said, you really need to read it, or maybe he had a copy, I don't remember. But I ended up reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, and it it changed my life. It was like Paul. It was like Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. It was that dramatic. Um, it it absolutely arrested me in terms of how I thought about life prior to reading that book, and how I thought about life after having read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Okay, in ten words or less. How were you before you read the autobiography, and how were you after? Probably somewhat naive about race in this country and the importance of race uh, and the negativity of racism, negative impact upon African-American people. Um, and probably after having read that book, very much now awake, alert, alive to um, the importance of race, particularly as it relates to black and white in America and everything, how it colors and skews everything that we have to deal with in this country. You mentioned you were sort of naive about race. Mm -hmm. South Bend had some problems with race, it still does have problems, but back in that era that you grew up, maybe you saw things and you ignored it or you didn't really see it for what it was? Well, well you, didn't, you didn't really have, or let me say, I didn't really know what to connect it to. Example, case in point, when we walked, we walked to school, so all I have to do is leave my front door, walk to the right, and travel approximately three miles, and I'm at Washington High School. I walk from my door, and it's a solid mass of African-American people, all black. When I get to Sheridan Street and I cross Sheridan, suddenly it's all white from there all the way to Washington High School. And in walking, once I pass Sheridan Street, I have several memories of little white kids coming out to their to the end of their front yard to call me a nigger. So that's part of my history. But what do I connect that to? 
not too much of anything. I take it as an isolated incident of some little white kids calling me a nigger. You know, there were no, there, there was no Muslim organization, there was no Muslim mosque here, there's no Nation of Islam Muslim, I don't mean Orthodox Muslim, I mean Nation of Islam. Um, there was an Urban League and there was an NAACP, but I didn't feel, you know, I mean, I didn't have a real strong connection to either one of those organizations. Although in 1963, I won an award, I'm, I'm backtracking now, in 1963 I won an award as the Negro Youth of the Year. This was an award that the Urban League gave annually to bright potential students, uh, students that they felt like had a future and they wanted to encourage. So there was a trophy and I don't know what else came with it, or a plaque, I can't remember which. I've got a picture of it somewhere. Um, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't really deeply rooted or connected to Urban League or NAACP. And so these incidents to me were isolated incidents and I wasn't a really big, big deal. In the riots. Now there were there were several incidents. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of militancy. It was the difference between like I've interviewed many people from your mother and father's generation where mm -hmm. they accepted the status quo. Your generation mm -hmm. did not accept the status quo. True. And it's understandable. My father and mother's generation, I mean, you know, they're coming from the South. And um they've been pretty beat down, you know, in this segregated status and, and less than second class status, you know, because everybody they saw that was black, for the most part, was on the bottom, you know. Mm -hmm. So you want to set this in context. Okay. You're, you're a young African-American male, you're in Marine Corps Reserves, you're working at Bendix, mm -hmm. and there's a difference of opinion on how to handle the situation, civil rights. Right. Your youth. Right. Would you describe yourself as a militant back in those? Oh, absolutely. When I came out of the military, I was definitely a militant. So, <laughs> how did you respond? What organization did you belong to and and what do you, were you doing? The, the organization that I looked to would have been probably, first of all, the Black Panthers because they began to be highly visible as a militant um, group of, of young blacks at that time. Did we have Black Panthers in South Africa? Not in an organized way. Mm -mm. We had them in Chicago. And we brought, uh, I remember probably 67, 68, we brought uh, a couple of guys in from the Panthers from Chicago. We had a meeting at IU, right here. This is IU. Um, brought them in here for a meeting. So, so 1967, I'm searching. Okay. I'm involved in the riot in 1967. When Melvin gets his leg shot off, I'm from here where I am right now to that corner just behind that bookshelf. So you judge how many feet that is. Not very far away. Not ten. Ten feet away when he gets his leg shot off. I'm right across the street. I showed up just as people, the police had fired into the um, building there. And, you know, so, so I'm in that. I had been involved in it couple nights prior to that we then following that moved it down to West Washington Street and we threw rocks at cars and Molotov cocktails and that kind of thing so that's where I would have been age you you mellowed I take it well I've mellowed in some ways and I hope not too mellow because what generally happens to people is as we get older we 
definitely have a tendency to become more conservative in our thinking and uh, want to preserve our lives, um, which can really be a very negative thing, I think. If we, if our eyes have ever gotten open, I think the real struggle for a person like me is to keep my eyes open and keep my mind open and keep my heart open. And uh, I feel in many ways that I'm at least as revolutionary as I was in 1967 right now. My approach to it obviously is different. I pastor a church and have been for the last 23 years. Um, you know, so I'm not talking about political power growing out of the barrel of a gun. Um, but I believe that as we were taught in the movement days in the 60s and 70s, that you can't make revolution without a revolutionary ideology. And so for me, the Bible is the most revolutionary ideology one could ever study. Now, it's always a matter of how you interpret and how you preach it. But I find it to be revolutionary, and I find Jesus to be the most revolutionary man that ever walked the earth. In all that transition, and you've seen so much change, where where do you think South Bend has changed the most, or what have you noticed over these many years? Wow, that's a that's a that's a profound question. Mm. Well, like most of America, there isn't the absence of a uh, of a a real broad-based grassroots movement of the people that doesn't exist really strongly anymore as it did in the 60s and 70s you know and we're missing that the country is negatively impacted because of that you know i really think you need to have always have a strong movement in a democracy that's critical of where things are i think that's very very important when you shut off debate and you shut off you know, that voice that's crying out for us to be the America that King dreamed of and envisioned, you know, and others have dreamed of and envisioned, then you're headed towards something that's not good at all. So I think that's probably the single largest negative thing that I see and huge change that I see from the 60s and 70s, because 60s and 70s, like with most major cities, and we're not a major city, but we had a pretty major riot and a pretty major grassroots movement in the 60s and 70s, you know. Uh, and like most of the cities, uh, we don't have that right now. South Bend's Own Words is made possible by executive producer Kevin Tidmarsh and me, George Garner. Want to see and hear more about South Bend's history? Our archival collection is online at Michiana Memory a partnership with the St. Joseph County Public Library. Go to michianamemory.sjcpl.org. Special thanks to Civil Rights Heritage Center Director Daryl Heller for his guidance and support for this project. Learn more about the center and how it changed a formerly segregated South Bend swimming pool into an active learning center dedicated to sharing the history and contemporary issues around civil rights and social justice. Visit us in person or online at crhc.iusb.edu.